my smartest career and money move was? Asking my girlfriend out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. That's not what people normally say, but let's hear it. You know what it is? I have a partner that is very supportive and I have one that isn't afraid to hold me accountable to the things that I say, whether it's like leaving toxic environments when they become really toxic or encouraging me to take that career risk or someone that's like, encouraged me to ask for more money than I was comfortable with. You know, having somebody that to bounce ideas off of or having somebody to like, you know, like be like, yo, is this too much? Am I asking for too much? And having someone validate that. She's been really great for like killing imposter syndrome and just really like supporting it. So yeah, I would say like a lot of big career risks or moves uh, that came that I've done over my life. I did them and it was because I got the support or the encouragement that I wasn't crazy if by doing this move, it's made a world of difference. Welcome to Smart Career and Money Moves, a podcast for professionals seeking fulfillment and purpose in their careers. Each week, we will sit down with experts and trailblazers to discuss the ups and downs of finding and following your passions, whether it's through climbing the corporate ladder, starting a business, or launching a side hustle. So let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. As you popping on in, we're back for another episode of the Smart Career and Money Moves podcast. Today, we're doing with a fellow career coach and LinkedIn content creator, Jermaine Murray. He's known as the job father. He's on a mission to help 500 Black people get jobs in tech. He's grown an impressive audience on LinkedIn, y'all. 75,000 people are tapping in to hear what Jermaine has to say. And he's been featured in Forbes, and he's a contributor on CNBC.com. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So before we get into the chit-chat portion of the show, I want to know a little bit about you. Yeah. Because all of us have like a dope, interesting story. And so for you, you studied journalism and media. How do we land in tech recruiting? It's actually pretty funny. I had a job hosting a show on Sirius XM as one of their contributor consultants. It was for a basketball segment for the Norman Knight show. And it was good. It was the perfect job until I got let go because they canceled the show. And in an effort to try and get back into broadcasting, I tried different ways to, to try and get, the, get a job. And in like the most desperate move, I paid someone an absurd amount of money to write a resume for me that didn't work. And I was so desperate, like I was listening to advice from my dad and it was like advice that worked in the 70s. This is like 2013, 2014. And he told me that back in his day, he just, he would have just walked in to the establishment with his resume and he would have gotten a job for the strength of that. So I tried that and I got kind of laughed out the building by the receptionist who kind of asked me a question that opened my eyes. And she was like, if you were the hiring manager, would you want to read this kind of resume? What kind of resume would you want to read? I went, studied up everything I could on resumes and started making resumes. And they started to like be very successful in terms of getting me callbacks and jobs and got to a point where my friends asked me to make them resumes. And I became known in the, in the area as that guy that like connected people with different opportunities. So I was working at a sales job at, for Enterprise Rental Car, running one of their branches. And I had a really, really bad day. And I asked myself, you know, if I could do anything in the world, what would it be? 
And I said, I want to work for PlayStation. So I went on PlayStation's job board and I looked at all the jobs that had to do with talking, you know, anything to do with like interviewing or anything to do with conversation and communication, because that's my strong suit. And I came across a tech recruiter posting and I realized that I, I had everything it, it, it was asking for, except for like the five definitive years of like tech recruiting. And that's how I was like, you know what, I'll give this path a shot. And that was like six, seven years ago. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Wow. So you did something that most people are afraid to do. You didn't meet all the qualifications. You went for it anyway. I shot my shot. Talk me through that. Like, where did that confidence come from? Did they even ask you about it? I mean, that's the real secret. Like, are people even really questioning you about all meeting all the requirements? So in terms of PlayStation, I didn't actually get the job at PlayStation, but I used that. I reverse engineered it. So I was like, I want to be able to be viable for this job. What do I have to do in order to be viable for it, to make someone go, manager me, if we bring you on our team, you know, you'd be a great fit. You'd be a great asset. And what the job description was asking me, like it had a lot that I already possessed, except for that five years of technical recruiting experience. So I decided, let me go get the five years of technical recruiting experience. And I put PlayStation in my five-year window. And I was like, I'm going to amass all of the skills that I need so that when the time comes, I could throw for this China job at PlayStation. I already know that they're hiring for this job. So like, it's going to come around one way or the other. I like, I will keep my eye on it in the next five years and see what happens. And I actually got a I got my first recruitment job at an agency. And the joke is that I got that job because I interviewed at another agency and one of the hiring managers didn't like me, but the other one did. It was, it was a black guy from the same neighborhood that I grew up in. And he was like, you're not going to get the job here because this person doesn't like you. But I know another person from Scarborough that's hiring for his team and let me make a referral. It was that way that I had two, you know, black men, other black men from an area that I grew up advocate for me, speak on my behalf. And ended up me getting my first recruitment shot. And I just took it and I ran. And I, once I got my in, I did everything I could to learn the skills of what makes a really great recruiter, but also build up community, right? I, I realized very early on, I was in this privileged place where I had employers hitting me up saying, yo, do you know who we could hire for these jobs? And, you know, I've always been uh, kind of an advocate and I had an opportunity to like, you know, refer people in my network, in my neighborhood from my walk of life to these jobs, people that look like me. And one thing just led to the next, uh, you know, it, with that as my intention, I put myself in positions to always be networking, to always be connecting. I used to go to four or five networking events per month right? Trying to meet as many black people in tech as possible and putting them in a WhatsApp group and using that to like, you know, build community and, and kind of foster a network that way. I didn't wait to find it. I, I went and instilled it. So whenever I was across from an employer and they're asking me, like, you asked where this confidence comes from. If I'm across from an employer, I know what I bring to the table. I made it a LinkedIn post, but I remember for one of my, my jobs, I was interviewing with somebody and they asked me like, Yo, if we don't hire you, what are you going to do, right? If we don't give you this job, what's your next step? And I always tell them like, yo, I'd get a job at your closest competitor and I'll crush you. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll crush you, dog. <laughs> but I've always just believed in myself that way. And like, I think that's the energy people need to have because it's a lot more easier to believe in someone that's confident, maybe even a little overconfident than somebody that's timid or too timid, you know? 
Yeah, I love that, right? It's no one will believe in you if you don't already exemplify that, like, I have what it takes. I love that. I might have to steal that. They're like, I'm going to go work for your competitor. I know who they are, and this is what I'm going to help them do. So I was going to ask what ignited your passion to help Black people get into the tech, but it, it sounds like just from your story that that is what that some other Black people, you know, Black people that you knew in your community helped you. When did you find that this is a problem that I need to continue that I need to push, that I need to continue helping to solve? Yeah, one of the first hires or placements I did in my career was basically I placed this guy who was uh, new to the country. You know, he was from Eastern Europe and he was telling me that, he, you know, when he first came to Canada, he like his family landed in Toronto. And when he first came to Canada, he couldn't get a job as a developer because he didn't have quote unquote Canadian experience. And like Toronto is is basically our New York, so to speak, right? In terms of opportunities, in terms of everybody wants to work here. It's a very competitive, bloodthirsty, you know, blood cutting market. It can be very difficult to get your break. So in order to like, you know, he had a young family. When they landed, his son was was born. The first job he got was like in Alberta, which pretty much the difference between New York and Texas. He had to live far away from his family. And he says to me, like, he goes, um, when he comes in to sign his offer, the guy's skipping in, like, he's extremely excited. I'm like, yo, okay, what's, what's up? And he's like, you guys got me a remote job. And he's like, you got me a remote job and I'm going to be able to walk my kid to daycare. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool. That's sweet. And he's like, no, nah, you don't understand. When I first came to this country, my son was born and I had immediately had to dip. I had to go over to like three different provinces, six, seven hour flight West. I missed my son's first words and my son's first steps because I had to work away from home. And you just got me an opportunity where I'm going to be able to walk my son to daycare every single day. And I can make sure that I'm not going to miss a single moment of his life. And I was like, yo, that is extremely powerful. I am loving this moment. And then there was this little voice in my head that came out of nowhere that was like, damn, I wish he was black. And okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, let me unpack that. And I realized that I know a lot of people in my, in my community that would have like loved that type of opportunity. I noticed that there are a lot of like stories in my community and my friend group that had a lot of broken relationships with fathers. I have a very complicated one with my own dad. And it's because a lot of our parents came from a, a, an impoverished background of limited opportunities. And that conditions you to think a certain way, that conditions you to perceive the world a certain way, your own opportunities, right? And I realized in that moment, giving this person this kind of opportunity where time is more in their control in terms of how they're able to author their lifestyle, their quality of life, so that they have the energy and the opportunity to invest in the relation with their kids. It was a ripple effect. And I'm like, that was something that, you know, may have preserved or may have enhanced my relationship with my own father, same way for some of my friends. And I was like, I'm now in a position where like I can you know, try my best to even like help one person from that looks like me have more of ability to invest that time in their family dynamics. And that was where like the Jupiter 100 situation kind of came out where with that same, like that led to the WhatsApp group and that WhatsApp group 
we started getting a lot of people different jobs. And I was telling them, anyone that was in that group, I was like, if you're in this group, I'm going to put all of my jobs that I'm working on in this group. And, you know, if you get a job, I'll count you. I will prep you for it. And I was like, if you have another job from another recruiter that you're going up for and you're not too confident, let me know and I will prep you for that. Because if you get in, that's a win for me. I also came across this report from, you know, the Brookfield Institute that basically also revealed like these uh, metrics for representation of black folks in Canada. And we were less than like 4%. So like we were less than 4%. We were the ethnic group that got paid the least. So that also radicalized me. And I was like, for every single black person that we can open the door and get them into tech where they can have access to environments or work companies that value quality of life, that value benefits, that value, you know, like giving people more ownership over their time, that is a win for us. You know what I'm saying? So when we did that, I remember we did that at the top of 2019. And in 2019, I helped out 67 black people get new jobs in tech through that WhatsApp group. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, that was just the start. Like the year after we did 85, and I said to myself, I was going to do 100, help 100 Black people get jobs in tech in 2021. And we ended up doing 126. And we did another 77 last year. And I think we're at like 19 this year. But the total number, when you put them all together, is 369 Black people helped. And this is all across the world, from people in Toronto, people in Vancouver, people in the United States. We helped someone in Japan get a job, the UK, Germany. We're trying to get some more more people opportunities from the Caribbean, specifically Jamaica, because I'm, I'm, I'm Jamaican. But like the whole idea of Jupiter HR and the job father is like, I want it to be if, you know, if there's a black person somewhere in the world and they're like, I don't know where to start. I want to get a job in tech. I want to be one of the first resources or people that they think of because we make it so transparent and easy in people like understanding how to get a job in tech, what to do, you know, the steps to take and the resources that we have in our network that's grown considerably. Here's the cheat code to making a career pivot or to getting promoted. First, you need the skills to do the job or the ability to learn how to. Second, you have to be able to market and sell yourself as the best candidate for the job. I created the Career Brand Accelerator as a professional development program to help you become a master at marketing and selling your skills so that you will always have the tools you need to make a career change. Because let's be honest, it's easy to get a new degree or certification or even to revamp your resume, but nothing quite prepares you for establishing your brand and for finding out what makes you unique so that you can stand out from the other job candidates in today's competitive job market. I have good news for you. You don't have to navigate your career on your own. Visit thecareerbrandaccelerator.com to learn more about how to pivot into your next role and how to level up your career without new degrees and certifications and without applying for tons of jobs online. You touched on something that I'm passionate about as well. The idea that your career, your job is really here to serve you and to serve your life. And so I want to talk about one of your posts that you, you did recently and so you say, screw being passionate about tech, be passionate about life, get a job that pays you well, treats you well, and enables you to work with people you like. So what was the motivation behind that? It sounds like that's the thread behind your coaching and how you're helping people. But at what point did you discover that like, it's got to be about more than a job? 
So it's twofold. The first inkling I got was actually probably like 2008 during like my first week of school when I went to school for journalism. And I, I was talking to a group of friends or I was trying to make like a strong impression. You know how young men could be always trying to boast and trying to like egos taking place, you know. <laughs> I wasn't really mature, but I was trying to boast and make a strong impression on folks. And I remember saying something akin to of like, once I'm done this program, I'm gonna get my high paying job, and I'm gonna be rich and I'm gonna live the life I wanna live. And I heard a laugh at what I looked. It was my professor laughing. And and I'm like, this is like two days after I just paid tuition too. And I was like, I was like, Professor, why are you laughing? And he's like, You wanna make a lot of money? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, You chose the wrong profession. <laughs> I was like, hi. He's like, yeah, journalism. It's one of those jobs you do because you're passionate about journalism. And I was like, ha, huh, that was interesting. And when I graduated, I pursued a journalism uh, track, right? I, I did everything from working for different publications, different magazines. I, like I said, I was on Sirius XM. I had interview, I did interviews with like Raekwon, the chef. And, you know, I was, I was living a pretty, I felt like I was doing a lot of journalism activities, but it didn't translate to being able to help me financially with my goals. And that was an extremely frustrating point. I worked like multiple jobs, multiple times, just trying to meet ends meet. And that was because like my industry that I chose my profession in wasn't allowing me to live that kind of life. I specifically chose tech. For me, it was wanting to work in an environment that I just had a lot of interest in. I'm a, vid I'm a big video game guy. And I was like, if I'm gonna work, if I wanna work away from journalism, it might as well be in an environment that I'm gonna like. And like, I didn't think tech recruitment was going to be my calling. It, it just worked out that way. But like I led with my heart, but I know a lot of people that are I'm friends with that got into tech exclusively for the money. And there's some, some sort of stigma about people just doing things for the money. Like, you know, you know, if you're in an interview, for instance, and they ask, you know, why do you want to work here? And if you're truthfully like, because you had a high salary posted, they're going to look at you and judge you. But I'm like, yo, my career in tech, like I'm very fortunate that I, I fell in love with recruitment, but like my career in tech enabled me to travel, right? It enabled me to afford to travel to see the world. It enabled me to, I hadn't seen my, prior to last year, I hadn't seen my 91 year old grandmother for 16 years. Cause I couldn't afford the, oh, to get I couldn't to Jamaica. Air travel. In Jamaica. No, England. She was in England. Okay. I couldn't afford the air travel or the stay to go see my grandmother. And that and 16 years went by. You know, she hit her 90s. I like, I'm very fortunate that she's still in this world and I, and I got time to see her. It was tech that afforded me the, the opportunity to not only work abroad because like tech companies are modern in their thinking and flexibility, but paid me enough because the industry was competitive enough where I got to see my grandma. Like, that's great that I like my job, but like if somebody, like I'm not gonna begrudge somebody to give themselves that same opportunity if they don't necessarily love the job, if they're competent enough and they have the skills and they can do it, by all means do it. I've worked sales job. I've absolutely hated, but like the commission check kept me there longer than it should have. Nothing wrong with that. That's where that post came from because I, I was tired of people chastising other people for like getting into an industry or getting a job because it pays well. You don't have to have the most passionate job. Like it makes you passionate about life, that's good enough. To me, you know, that comes from a place of extreme privilege. Like we're all here playing the game, trading time for money. And so 
you must be from an extreme place of privilege if, if you're not here actually trying to get the most value for your time. So I saw a, a LinkedIn article just recently, and it was saying that one job may no longer be enough to pay the bills. Nearly half of U.S. employees have a side hustle or a, a source of supplemental income. My question to you, I want to get your opinion, is corporate America actually ready for this? Because it has been historically frowned upon. And I actually think I was probably maybe laid off or let go actually because of that. So is corporate America actually ready for people to have other sources of income? I don't think they really have a choice, to be honest with you. People ask me all the time, like, they're like, yo, what is with this job hopper culture that this new age millennials and Gen Z have? Like, where did this entitlement come from? And I have a theory that it comes from like jobs producing less and less, like the ROI on a job is less and less and less and less. And like back when my parents bought their house in 2003, I'll even go to like back in like the 80s and the 70s, you could afford to like work at a grocery store, working minimum wage or working whatever the wages were. And there were people in that same grocery store that some of them had stay at home spouses with multi bedroom houses all on a salary that paid less than 50 grand. You know what I'm saying? That's that like that in itself allows companies to have a lot of sway over people because it's like, it's easy to tie up my whole entire lifestyle into this one paycheck because that's how far my paycheck gets me. I live in Toronto. Myself and a lot of my peers make well into the six figures. That is more than what my parents made combined when they bought our house. My salary or my salary and that of my peers would be lucky to even be able to afford a condo. Like your average home price, my parents bought their house. My mom worked as an admin in insurance. My dad worked in construction. They were able to buy their house for 210, 220,000 in 2003. That same house is almost close to 2 million now, but the wages haven't gone up. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, interesting point. How do you have control? They're expecting us to be okay with the lower wages. Meanwhile, everything is becoming extremely unattainable. I was watching a clip off of Earn Your Leisure the other day, and they said that $100,000 in New York City feels like 38000 It's true. If you add in inflation, there are a lot of reports that will tell you $100,000 in 2023 is about $50,000 in $1990. And like, and like, yeah, I think like, New York has, it's the like, it's not a like, I've had friends that work in New York City. I've had recruiters that have told me that they work, they get paid like 170, 180,000 from these big tech companies. And it's simply because they live in a high cost of area like New York or San Francisco, because it's not abnormal for rents to be six, 7,000. How do we let this happen? Yeah, I, I moved to the Bay in 2016 and our first temporary apartment, it was $5,000. And that, was, that I know. And people pay it, right? And it's one of those crazy markets. And I'm sure New York is the same way. And maybe Toronto, where it literally changes every day. So today is 5000 Tomorrow is 5150 <laughs> Yeah, it's all demand generated. So it's like, like, you almost are forcing me like to get a side hustle at this point. And either you have an option, either you get with the program or you pay me more. Because if you're like, I'm not going to do it, there are plenty of other companies not, that are like, yo, we recognize what's going on. We'll let you do it. That's another thing I like about tech is that like, 
side hustles, consulting, contracting, that's all kind of expected or like, it's not abnormal as long as there is no, like, cause you have a lot of people that are building their own startups, for instance. And as long as you're not like using proprietary technology or information, and as long as you're not in direct conflict or like with an industry, with your workplace, most employers are gonna be like, okay with you doing what you're doing, doing a little consulting on the side, a little contracting, as where the ethics may lie. For like recruiters, it's a bit more complicated because you're dealing with a lot more like sensitive information and like personnel that could be like used for like other opportunities. But like, it's not abnormal for developers to like be contracting for developer jobs. It's not abnormal for marketing professionals to be consulting for marketing professional jobs, copywriters, the list goes on. Yeah, big bank wants to be like, yo, you can't do this on the side. You just got to live on our one paycheck. I'm going to do my thing on the side anyway and then find another opportunity that's like, yo, that's cool with us. That is dope. <laughs> so, yes, going forward, guys, we're only interested in opportunities that allow us to do it. I mean, it's only right. It's only right. One of your other recent posts uh, that you put up where um, said that, uh, the strongest position you can maintain during a job interview or salary negotiation is being okay if it happens and being okay if it doesn't. People really struggle with that because, you know, we just talked about how hard it is. People are still earning $70,000 and struggling in high, high cost of living areas. You know, how do you walk away from that when you have nothing on the table? It all comes down to like confidence and knowing yourself, but also like just having faith. I always say like, you gotta have a line that like, like you can't cross and that will protect you. And just like not keeping in track what your bigger picture is. People can smell desperation. People can smell when they can take advantage of you. And you don't wanna be in that position where that's how you're coming across because you'll never get what you're worth. Sometimes like it, there may be some exceptions where I myself and I know a bunch of recruiters, if we see someone undervaluing themselves, we'll like, will like cough, I'll, I'll like cough and tell them that I heard a different number that's higher, right? I've had recruiter friends that are end calls, I've end Zoom calls and sent text messages to be like, yo sis, you need to be asking for more, right? Those are the exceptions though, right? There are other recruiters and I've seen recruiters that have taken, you know, joy in presenting somebody with a significant lower offer than what they can get. And I never understood why, because it, it's not your money, but that's a different conversation. Like, it's not your money. It's not your money. Like, a recruiter, yeah. Like, if you're a recruiter watching this, you know, you should be happy when somebody negotiates for more money and they accept your offer. Don't be happy holding back because it's not your money. You're not, it's, it's not, like, you're not getting your bonuses tied to it. Your salary's not tied to it. Your feedback scores is not tied to it. It's not your money, bro. Let it go. It's completely made up because there's no metric for you that says if you save us $100,000, we're going to, they're not going to do anything. You're just making yourself feel better about it. <laughs> I don't know why that, I don't know why take like in this economy too, not giving somebody as much as they were able to get is something to be proud of. If like, if that's you, if you're proud of that as a recruiter, you suck. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. And hiring managers are the same. They fall into the same type of bucket that like, even with performance reviews and all that type of stuff, it's like, give the people their money if you want them to stay or in the, the case of the recruiter, if you want them to join. So what's your number one piece of advice for black people who are intimidated by the tech industry? We just talked about being intimidated by negotiations, but what about being intimidated by the tech industry itself? 
I would say um, realize that like the tech industry is is just a formality and in a lot of ways tech is already in the company that you're working at or the opportunity that you're working at. Target is a tech company. And a lot of people don't like think when they think Target, they think retail. But like if you're doing customer service for Target's online store, that's the same as doing customer success for Amazon. It's the same market. Like your company is probably leveraging tech quite a bit. And if not, there's there's somebody that's doing that exact same job that you're doing for a tech company or leveraging those skills similarly within a tech company as well. So I think one of the best things that you can do is to go about is humanize the people behind the brands at the tech company. Don't get too caught up in a particular brand because you use it very well. That's more of an advantage than like something to be intimidated by. But reach out and connect directly with the people. Go on LinkedIn, try to find people that had similar backgrounds as you and realize that like there are a lot of different ways that you can pivot into a tech company, whether it's customer service, law, accounting, tech companies need lawyers, tech companies need accountants, tech companies need customer service people, tech companies need HR managers, tech companies need training people, tech company needs graphic designers, tech companies need marketers, email marketers, copywriters, tech companies need it all. A tech company can't run just solely off of the strength of their source code. I've worked with a lot of like CTOs and founders and engineers and people that deal with like a lot of complex stuff. Sometimes they'll think they're explaining something very simply to me. And I'll be like, bro, like, like try it again. Yeah, try again, right? <laughs> I, I don't like the term dumb it down, but like, I don't know what that, what you just said to me is. And if you're trying to make this a mass market thing, I think people need to know what you're saying. So like, there's always a need just identifying that or like the equivalent, even doing what I did, seeing jobs that you could do, but you might just be missing a couple of years worth of skills and working backwards will totally take like the fear or the intimidation factor out of the equation. Yeah, because working in tech doesn't mean doing the tech job. And I feel like a lot of people fall into that trap. I have to go get a certification. I have to become a coder. And it's like, let's capitalize on what you already have and what you've been doing. But that kind of leads me to my next point. And this is another post that I saw you recently put up. A hill I'm willing to die on is to always be the first, loudest, and proudest to talk about yourself. And I kind of feel like that's why people struggle to make a pivot because they automatically think I'm not working in tech. I haven't done that job before. I must not have any value. Yeah, I think it's because just like society has just made it such a negative thing to be confident because they people will always misplace your confidence for arrogance. And my whole thing is I don't like I don't care anymore. Right. If I'm speaking, if I say I can do something and I have the stats that prove it and the people that co-sign it because they were there to witness, I'm going to tell you how amazing it is of the thing that I did because you need to know, like people don't appreciate how hard jobs are sometimes. I always say like, look at construction workers. They're doing some really complex stuff and a lot of people just like write that off, but they shouldn't. Everyone has value. Everyone, Everything that everyone does is impressive. Like if it wasn't, then you wouldn't have been asked to have done it. That's the key focus of it all. So when we don't speak life into it, it comes back to that confidence thing. Like, why would I want to hire you if you're not even confident in what you can produce? It's like love. If like, if what you're producing doesn't match what you're saying or what you're doing, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there's a disconnect, I'm not going to fall for it. I'm going to find something else that's more aligned with what I want. You don't want second place. No one wants to be second place. No one wants to hire second place. Like, to quote Jay-Z, second place is the first loser. So you got to like, don't be telling it like if they ask you like, yo, if you're a business analyst and they go, yo, who's the best business analyst on your team? Your answer is anything but you. 
limiting your potential right there. You're dropping so many gems. If anybody is not confident watching this, you better walk away being confident. And I want you guys to drop some hearts, drop some likes, and drop some questions. We do have a one question, and I'll get to that in a second. But I want you to finish the sentence. My smartest career and money move was? Uh, asking my girlfriend out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that. That's not what people normally say, but let's hear it. You know what it is? I have a partner that is very supportive and I have one that isn't afraid to hold me accountable to the things that I say, whether it's like leaving toxic environments when they become really toxic or encouraging me to take that career risk or someone that's like encouraged me to ask for more money than I was comfortable with. You know, having somebody that to bounce ideas off of or having somebody to like you to like be like, yo, is this too much? Am I asking for too much? Right. And having someone valid validate that it's a she's been really great for like killing imposter syndrome and just really like supporting it so yeah i would say like a lot of like a lot of big career risks or moves uh that came that i've done over my life i did them and it was because i got the support or the encouragement that i wasn't crazy if by doing this move it's made a world of difference yeah i love that so basically having the right community around you yeah exactly because if you're trying to navigate this thing on your own, I mean, because confidence comes and goes, right? And sometimes we do need to lean on our community to get that confidence bank. So I want to hear your opinion on like predictions about the recession. At the end of 2022, there were 360,000 people laid off. And however, 260,000 jobs were also created. And so it's this, it's this weird situation we're in right now. There are a ton of jobs and a ton of people without work. What are you, what's your prediction on what's going to happen with the recession? What's going to happen with the job market this year? I think it's going to happen to what always happens with like with these situations. If I'm a big fan of history, both history that happened that I lived through and history that I've only heard about through stories. And I'm specifically talking about like the 08 recession was supposed to be like the greatest recession of all time since the Great Depression, right? Things were supposed to be, things were like really, 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 really bad. But then as what always happens in these recessions is that people, the real people that are trying to like make things happen, find opportunities in these negative situations. And from there, the new opportunities are our birth. If you think about 2008, it was all dire. 2007, 2008, 2009, super dire. But what happens is we had the Silicon Valley boom, the second one. The first one was the, the Apple and the Microsoft one back in the 70s and 80s. But this one was new. This one was like the digital economy, the digital world exploded, right? What we used to be just eBay as a place to like move your unwanted merchandise evolved into Facebook market in terms of connecting people. It evolved into Facebook in terms of like thought process it evolved into Twitter, right? Where people could air their grievances over the challenges that they were having in the workplace or in life. There were all these different platforms that popped up solely because people found a way to innovate on like the miserable reality that we had at the time. So I'm, it leads me to believe that we're going to have a similar phenomenon happen where things are going to be dicey for the first little bit. And then the people affected, I wouldn't be surprised if like a lot of the people that have been laid off just make the jump to entrepreneurship. Some of those will fail. Some of those will succeed. Some of those will have middling success, but people will be getting jobs out of those opportunities, right? So I do think that 
The word res- it is going to be a downturn in regards with the layoffs. I think it's more monkey see, monkey do. A lot of companies like let's be real, like we live in a capitalistic environment, and anything that's pro employee is bad. And a lot of investors have come out and said that. They felt like tech and workers were too overcompensated and treated too well. Everything from the remote stuff I just talked about to the compensations, the bonuses. They were looking for an excuse to trim the fat and use fear to kind of rein in, you know, what people are willing and able to ask for, right? Because a candidate market is not good for employers. An employer market is good where you can be picky and cheap with the talent. You know what I'm saying? Like when everybody's asking for 100K, it's stressful. But when you're able to get 100K talent for 80K because the market is nasty and you're able to play into fear, you're going to do it. But these things also have a breaking point as well. Like all those people that were laid off, they weren't like a lot of them weren't laid off because the company was bloated or they over or they overhired, so to speak, because they didn't have the work to justify it. The work was there. The work was justified and the work is still there. But now it's fallen onto the people that have been left behind. So what's going to happen? Either quality is going to take a hit or the output and quantity is going to take a hit. But we're going to reach a breaking point where companies are going to have to hire again. And we're going to go back into the same cycle over and over and over again. It's capitalism, baby. That's 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 what it's designed to do. Infinite growth, right? Infinite growth. Absolutely. We got a question from Evangeline and she says, I would like to learn how to improve the searching skills for an internship on LinkedIn. And that's a good question because it is a slightly hard to find an internship on LinkedIn. I mean, I haven't necessarily been looking, but how do people find internships these days outside of their school? I mean, I, you know, when I went to school, they were big about, you know, form- formulating a community to do that. Uh, so what do you think? I think the same way, like you got to just take, have tabs on like the right companies. Like there are a lot of companies that actually invest in internship programs, right? Shopify has one. Um, well, Simple has one. Dynatrace has one. DraftKings has one. Uh, New Relic has one. A ton, ton of different companies actually have internship programs where they hire interns. So keeping a list of those type of opportunities and having people on the inside or making effort to have people on the inside is going to be a major key for how you do that. Outside of just like keeping your eye open and if you're outside of like a program, I would say tapping into communities, Discord, Slack channels, Reddit groups, like Twitter. Twitter is a fantastic tool where a lot of people communicate, like they're hiring for different opportunities, internship programs, the work. So leverage social media, leverage your community, go out and create community. Don't just rely on people that you know to introduce you, like find people that are interesting and try to introduce yourself to them. You're speaking my language because I always tell people I, I don't believe in applying for jobs online because it is about community. It is about getting in the right room. It is about talking to the right person, putting yourself out there. And so, yeah, it's almost like, you know, instead of just combing through the job boards looking for internship internship opportunities, uh, you might want to pivot your focus to like, how can I get my community? You know, how can I find the community? You've dropped and shared so much helpful content today, Jermaine. How can we support you? How can we get in your community? 
Well, if anyone's so, you know, feel free to follow me on my social networks, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. And if you ever see me, you know, recruiting for a job that you're interested in, always feel free to give me a shout or go on my job or jobs.jupiterhr.ca and you can apply for the jobs there. And, and we, we do the referrals to the companies. You can always, always book career coaching sessions with me. And if, or if your company is hiring and you want to like, get more black people in the door, feel free to give us a referral to your HR manager. Let them know they use our, our, our recruitment agency. But otherwise, just like feel free to follow me on our socials and support our initiatives. We're helping out and advocating for more black folks in the space. Excellent. I'm going to check out that job board myself because some of my clients might, you might have some postings that there some of my go. clients could take advantage of. But thanks so much for giving us your time today, Jermaine. It's been an amazing chat. And I can't wait to see what's next for you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's been a pleasure and all the best. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you love this episode as much as I did, be sure to hit the subscribe button, leave a five-star review, or share this podcast with those in your network that are striving to make smart career and money moves. Till next week. Bye.